You're listening to Reflections on Now, a podcast brought to you by City Church Tulsa, in which Pastor Matt Nelson and artist Cody Jensen look at cultural events and everyday life through the gospel lens of love. For more information on City Church, visit citychurchtulsa.com. So 2020 has been a year of chaos and disruption and disorientation. In this season, um, we've provided basically two opportunities. Uh, An opportunity to accept it, that that's happening, and make our choices based on the reality that we live in. Or we can choose to reject the reality we live in and try to fight for what we had, uh, fight to keep uh, from losing even more. So that's kind of like the conversation that we would like to have is just this opportunity that we have in a disruptive period. As you have experienced 2020, how has your life been disrupted and thrown into chaos? And what was your journey through that? Well, we haven't had a podcast now for a month because (laughs) me and my entire family tested positive. So we've, you know, we're just now making it uh, back out. And so it's unique because that, you know, there's a cyclical nature to life and seasons of life that we all go through. But here, rarely are we all thrown into disruption all at once. Mm-hmm. Like we go through it in our own life. And we have seasons where we're going through something, but maybe our neighbor, our friend is, is not. But here we all are inundated by multiple crises simultaneously, not just the global health crisis, but, you know, mental health and racial injustice and, you know, potential economic and job change. And so all of us are in some sort of disorientation and uh, it's affecting everybody in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I think some people kind of thrive in disruption and a lot of people we don't, mm-hmm. right? Trying yeah. to figure out where where are we? Mm-hmm. How do I move forward? Uh, what I love about this season is not the mass suffering we're all going through. That is heavy and it weighs on all of us because... the we we just aren't made to cope with this much suffering. And so we have to deal with it. But I also love the opportunity we get to come together as a global community for the first time in my life. Maybe you could throw in 9-11 there, but that was really just a American thing that was shared. This is a truly global crisis. And what I love is it's made us all have to forced us to slow down and Slowing down is something that I think that us as Americans re- resist at all cost. We do not want to slow down because of whatever factors that is, whether it's a cultural norm or um, our identity is built on the achievement that we're trying to gain. And so to slow down is essentially to be lazy or to slow down is to not move forward in the ways that we're wanting to. And I have found in my life, as I have been forced to slow down, and then as I have chosen to slow down, that my mind and my heart and my thoughts have opened up to much, much greater things than they had in the past. My thoughts and feelings feel so small in retrospect now compared to what I think and feel now, accepting this moment of extreme slowness Mm. and That's what I think is the beauty of the disruption. Is that something that you feel like you've experienced or witnessed 
Yeah, I think again this um, the disorientation, the disruption. I think everybody's felt like this initial. Oh, this is different and maybe a little bit exciting. And then all of a sudden the excitement wears off and there's a mourning and a grieving because something has to change and you have to let go of something that you thought was going to be, or you were going to do. And then, you know, there's, there's like a reorientation. So all of this that we're kind of talking about, I, I want to give credit to like Walter Brueggemann is an old Testament scholar and theologian. He wrote a book called praying the Psalms. And he says that the Psalmist reflects life, which is orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. And all of us right now are in some sense of, of disorientation. So orientation is when we feel securely oriented, when our feet are on the ground, when things seem to make sense. Disorientation is being painfully disrupted, where I say it's like the relay race when you grow up as a kid, when you, you, know, you put your nose on a bat and you spin around 10 times and then you have to run somewhere. And that's kind of what we feel like. We're like trying to figure out where we are. And then there's, I think, a surprisingly reorientation where we find a new way forward. And what happens in this is growth and change. Like there's a biblical precedent, but you look back on your life, the disruption, I think it causes you to move into spaces that otherwise you would never otherwise, never otherwise move into, right? We just... We may be hesitant to change or transition, but disruption now forces it. And I think that can be the beauty of it. And so in the midst of all of this uncertainty and, and the real pain that, that you and, and, and people have to endure, there is some silver linings. There are some things that you can look and say, man, this is how we could redeem uh, the disorientation. The opportunity I also feel like this gives us is a moment to feel and know and to dissect what we were oriented to to begin with and make the conscious decision of whether that was the correct orientation because in the moment we felt as though it was right because we were in the middle of it and it's almost impossible when you're in the middle of something to step outside and say is this exactly what i want to be doing what i'm supposed to be doing what god has called me to be doing or is this just a pattern of repetition a pattern of habit and that i think is what has led to many cultural thinkers to talk about the the cultural reset that we are in because we are resetting our mind on things that we actually want and we actually feel versus what we have been doing out of habit. And do you feel like that has happened uh, on a church level, either locally or globally? Oh, absolutely. I think that is maybe what we could describe as the beauty of, of the disruption uh, of this moment where now, because of the chaos, you, you look back and, and what, what is it that I believe? What is it that I value? Like, where do I, where have I built my foundation and, and recovering maybe some things that are lost or maybe misguided? That's what, that's what I think disruption causes us to do. Uh, there's a lot of people that want to look back and just say, I, I, I just want to mourn and get back to the way things were. But you can't, right? It's gone. So you can sit here and I think you've got to mourn some of it, but then eventually you've got to reorient. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what it's causing some of it to do. I think church leaders, I've been around a lot of pastors, church leaders, people who are now, uh, what I try to get them to do is like, man, we can't just mourn what was lost. We've got to see what is happening in the midst of this messiness 
and, and how do we move forward? And I think it's causing some people who otherwise would have never, never moved, never changed, never transitioned into something more to now rethink things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think about it in in terms of the stages of grief that there is that first stage of denial. And if you never move past that, then you basically are just going to crush under the weight of trying to carry something that can't be carried. But once you move past that into grief and then move through grief, I think we have to grieve it. I think if we just skip the step of, of grieving the death of ourselves, the death of our dream, the death of, you know, this thing that we have been working towards, then that's going to fester inside of us and, you know, ultimately cause a reaction that is unknown based on each person's personality. Yeah. I, I, leading pastors and church planners and, and leading a network. It's funny because back in March, here we are. I remember my kids, they literally get out of school for spring break and they tell us, hey, you're not going to get one week for spring break. You're going to get two weeks. So thinking back in March, we think that this pandemic is going to be a couple weeks, mm-hmm. you know, because we had no idea. We've right. never done it and we didn't know what we were facing. And here our churches now can't meet in person. And so there's like this move to go online. And I mean, a little bit of excitement, but a lot of like, what are we going to do? And then I, I saw that the next few months, there's this, man, we've got to get back. We've got to get back to the way things were, mm-hmm. Right. And then I met with that same group of pastors here in July and August, and now they're actually wrestling with the bigger questions. Was what we were doing really what we should have been doing? Mm-hmm. Some of the things that we've seen and results from our people and what they're doing, maybe maybe the foundation wasn't really there like we thought it was. Maybe our tactics for what we were supposed to be doing and making disciples wasn't really being effective. Now here we are in October, November, we're seeing a third big wave and spike. There's not necessarily an end. There's some deep things that are now being wrestled with mm-hmm. that didn't even seem to be reality six months ago. Yeah. And, you know, is that painful? Sure. Uh, is it necessary? Is reform necessary? And is, is, is the transition necessary? Absolutely. I think it's the only way forward. Mm-hmm. Like pain teaches you things and suffering teaches you things that all of the victories and all of the comfort in the world just can't teach. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, you probably see that in your life, your stories, you know, there's a biblical precedent for that. Yeah. The thing that I have, probably be just because of my own biased and, and artist sensibilities, the things that I have witnessed the church hold on to is the idea of maintaining the the shareholders, the tithers, um, contributions to the organization. And that's the attachment the attachment is we have to provide an event and we have to provide the, the the things that we've been providing in order to keep our shareholders happy, to keep our income flowing. And that is the thing that I have appreciated to a holy level about you and about City Church is the fearlessness of moving forward through the disorientation and doing the things and saying the things that are truly bringing the kingdom of God now in whatever way is possible without this attachment to the fear of who's going to be paying the bills if we scare people away. And I bring that up just because I think that money is a, it's probably the most powerful force 
apart from love, but it's in this direct competition, this direct spiritual fight to capture the heart of each individual. And whenever our hearts are captured by money, we make decisions for money, thinking it's freedom, instead of making decisions for love, knowing that it's freedom. And that's the beauty, I think, of this moment is those hearts that have been a attached to money and making all of their decisions based on that and leading themselves and others into the destruction and suffering of themselves and people in their wake, we can reorient and choose love and choose to make our decisions in love instead of for money. And those decisions are wildly different and look wildly different than they did in the past and look wildly different than the world is choosing to move forward in. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, the Spirit of God is always moving in different ways, and that never stops. And so I, I look at people who, man, I, I wish things could go back to they were, or we want this, or we want to reclaim this. And instead of saying, asking the question, man, what what is the Spirit of God trying to do and move us forward and into that, that again, that's new, that is life-giving? Like, let, let's let go of some of the things that man, we've been holding on to, right? I, I think disorientation and disruption, the word that comes to my mind over and over again, and I think just when you go through a transition in life in general is the word surrender. Mm. I think you just have to surrender the unknowns. Mm -hmm. You can't live in this fear of uh, what if there's not enough or what is it gonna be like? You can't sit around and try to strategize for something you don't know. I mean, we used to do strategic planning for six months to a year. Our strategic planning just went from like two weeks to a month. Mm -hmm. And even that we're holding loosely. And just asking like, Spirit of God, what are, you, what are you wanting to do in us? Because let's not act like the old ways of doing things were the best. Like even in the church world as a pastor, let's not act like everybody who showed up every week for City Church was becoming a disciple of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Some of those who had been on the fringes for a long, long time, guess what? I have no idea where they're at. And I have no idea if they'll ever come back. But I do know there's a group of people that are leaning into the disruption and allowing God to shape them in new ways and moving deeper into love and mission. And I can do something about that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I feel like that's what leaders, I know this isn't like a leadership podcast, but I, when I talk to a group of leaders, I'm like, leaders, you've got to mourn, but then you got to lead. And leaders don't look back at what was lost. They look at what, what could come through it and out of it, you know, and, uh, I can see so much beauty out of it. Mm -hmm. I sat with a group of people the other day and ministries, uh, ministry leaders and, and pastors and church planners and the innovation that has been born out of the disruption mm -hmm. was astounding. People asking questions and doing things that would have never been done in, in 2019. Mm -hmm. I mean, you would have been called crazy and here you are today. And now you're, 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 you're innovative. Mm -hmm. Oh, your ingenuity is is awesome. What an entrepreneur you are. And right. like, you know. Yeah, you're being asked, how did you do that so we can replicate it? Right. Versus, you know, yeah. well, what a weirdo. And some of these walls have been torn down because mm -hmm. people are open to change. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's change all around us, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, people ask, you know, what, what about your kids? You know, I have four children, they're young. And like, you know, are they going to suffer because of schools or things like that? And I'm like, here's what my kids are learning. Flexibility. And mm -hmm. you know what? Things happen. Someone asked me about my kids. They're like, uh, you know, they, our, our schools aren't back yet. We're the only school in Oklahoma that's not meeting publicly. And I'm like, man, 
two, three years ago, there was a teacher walkout where our kids didn't go to school. Last year, we had a major flooding event in Tulsa that closed down things for a long time. This year, it's a global pandemic. My kids know how to roll with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just life. Like life comes your way, right? And learning how to be flexible and how to change and not hold on to things uh, too, too, too much, too long. Mm-hmm. I think that's what we learn too. Yeah. Is... Um, you know, we, we, we get addicted to these strategic plans, the, the one year, the five year, the 10 year plan. And yet I think the most beautiful place to live is daily trusting, mm-hmm. you know, and just having faith that, and, you know, God lead me today because yeah. tomorrow I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, you mentioned this isn't a leadership podcast, but I do believe that each of us are leaders in some way, even if it's just leading yourself. And through this season of chaos, we have seen the numbers among leaders and non-leaders continually rising whenever we're talking about mental health, depression, anxiety, divorce, suicide. I mean, almost every single area of disorientation is rising. Do you think that answer that you just spoke of, of, of surrender is how we move out of that or is you know the solution I don't... yeah 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 i don't know if i have a, I have a good one for this i i, I want to say that whenever you are really shaken to your core when your foundation truly gets rocked what what you begin to turn to is is what you put what you put your hope in mm-hmm. and uh i i think that you know i use tim keller's example he says our hearts are idol factories we just naturally produce idols that's who we are it's a sinful nature in us things other than god that we think will bring life but never do mm-hmm. and when we get shaken what do we do we retreat back to those old patterns of sin <laughs> like it would be an exodus it would be the example of the people of god coming out of egypt going to the desert and being like you know what i think it was better back in slavery that's what we do right we we naturally go back to the things and and that could be worry and fear and anxiety, because I want to try to control it now. It's uncontrollable or unknown, but I'm going to take control. Well, no, you're not. Your attempt to will make you uh, make your mental health suffer. Mm-hmm. Or we go back to an addiction, uh, you know, something that gives us comfort. We eat too much, right? And so you're, you're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, I've never in my, you know, 15 years of full-time ministry dealt with so much addiction, marital issues, and mental health struggles as I am right now. Because again, foundations are being shaken. But at the same time, I think sometimes that's growth, mm-hmm. right? That's the only way that growth happens. Mm-hmm. Does growth happen any other way other than really being shaken to the core? Right. I mean, those are the significant breakthroughs. And not just, I mean, you can use life examples, but you you go back at these cave pit, you know, like really bottom moments in, in scripture that seem to be the end for all of these men and women of God was really the starting point, mm-hmm. right? Like Joseph gets thrown in a pit, forgotten, betrayed, falsely accused, and yet it was the place where God moved. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's always a starting point, never an ending point, but when it's in your in the story, you think it's the end, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the I think that suffering ultimately is part of the human condition. It is the acceptance of suffering that takes us into the next level of maturity and the next level of growth. It's whenever we are actively rejecting the suffering, trying to cope with the suffering by ignoring it, which ultimately leads to overeating, addiction. Everything is um, that we do in our life 
we can pretty much trace to we're trying to cope with the reality that we live in. Yeah. Because it is painful to have a body. It is painful to live in a society that doesn't value every human being. It's a painful to live in a society that's denying the global crisis that we're in. And all of these things add to the weight of just existing. Mm -hmm. And whenever we try to cover that up with some sort of kumbaya and not actually accept that I am hurting, I am suffering, these things suck, then we have to cope with it. And those coping mechanisms lead to addiction or lead to depression or whatever it is. And that's obviously doesn't take into account chemical imbalances that are clinical, right. um, which is an entirely different topic. But Yo, you're, you're right. This is what I would maybe, you know, in, in my book, The Beauty of the In-Between, I have a whole section on the theology of suffering because I, I've realized if a person does not have that, there's no way they can live in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Because suffering will, will seem to be abnormal, will throw you off track, or you know, if you come from these Pentecostal charismatic circles like I grew up in, that suffering is always a lack or an absence of God, mm-hmm. well, that's baloney, right? So you don't know how to deal with it because you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. But healthy people know that you still live in a fallen, broken world. And things like this, if it's not a global pandemic, it's going to be something else because suffering is inevitable mm-hmm. and you're going to go through seasons of it. And even how scripture, especially Paul in the New Testament, is like suffering is 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 the only way that you more move forward in, into intimacy. Like there's just not another way. Because through suffering, you, you experience the grace of God, and the grace of God moves you into a deeper depth of knowing him. And without that, do you cling to him? Or do you just go on living your good life thinking that you've got it under control? Mm-hmm. Right? Like the suffering is the only vehicle that gets us to that place. And so, yeah, helping people like wrap their mind around, guess what? <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit, uh, maybe maybe a little bit dark, but people are like, oh, wait till 2020 ends because 2021 is going to be just amazing, mm-hmm. right? Well, maybe not. Right. I don't know. Right. Guess what? 2021 is going to have its own struggles, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's it's almost like this, we want to just close this chapter and move on to the next one. And I, I pray that globally we move out of this season into a different one. Please. Yeah. I mean, that's Amen. what I want. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but- do you know what's going to happen just because you want it to? No. Right, right. It's so, it's so funny because as we're doing you know this podcast, it's October, November two, 2020. People are like, how are you doing, Pastor? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. I actually went through a crisis and a mental health crisis of my own in 2019 mm-hmm. where I had so much of life hit me. Mm-hmm. That was before any of 2020 happened. I'm doing better mentally and, and physically and emotionally this year than I was last year mm-hmm. because that's life, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, here we are. And so you're right. Learning how to cope with these things and deal with it and expect it is a part of your faith and the only way you can prepare yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I feel uh, uh, similarly in that and and similarly um, confused in that in just the fact that I am living in 2020 in the most peaceful, content state I've ever been. And the world around me is crumbling. The people around me are crumbling. And I am happy and content. And it's because I went through suffering the last two years instead of, you know, being forced into the suffering by a pandemic. And this conversation has brought a memory back to me of being like 25, 26, sitting in a city church staff meeting. And we were going through a book on the mansions of the heart. Hmm. And as we were talking about how we were going to move, how we how we have to move through the mansions, the way the only way to get through the next mansion of the heart is suffering. 
And I remember sitting there knowing that I was basically in mansion one and it was going to take suffering to get to that next level. And just saying, I think I'm good here. I mean, I feel good. I mean, I, I'm, I feel as though I'm confident. I don't need to go. Like I feel happy. I feel joyful. I feel as though I'm conquering the world and I'm moving forward. And my five-year plan is coming to fruition and like all of these things. So why would I choose to move into suffering? But now on the other side of suffering, I think, how could you choose not to? Because this side of suffering is actual joy, actual peace, actual contentment, where it is not reliant on the, the news of the day or how I wake up or anything. It's just reliant on the fact that I am. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, that's the paradox of, of, of joy, even that you just described. And this is, if you want to read this, this is the theme of First Peter. Because you can sit here and you can think to yourself, well, you can become fearful of like, oh, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through that. And the what ifs and the what could be. But when you're in the midst of it, what happens is God's grace sustains you. And so in the midst of your, you know, deepest, darkest trial, you can actually find a sense of peace and joy because you get to this place where you've let go of expectations, you've let go of your future, you've let go of this perfect image that you've been trying to protect. And now you do get to this place of like, I, I think personally, it's, it's when you kind of move from sand to rock. Mm-hmm. Jesus talks about this. He's like, how do you build your foundation? Oh, the storms are going to come, right? He guarantees it. What are you built on? And this tests that. And I think just building your, building your foundation on a rock really means like, yeah, you know what? That may come my way. God's grace will sustain me. I can lean in and find a new depth of my understanding in God and intimacy. And and he'll he'll make a way for me forward. And so it's not like you're not fearing these things that are going to come your way. And I mean, that's a lifelong journey of maturity mm-hmm. what, that you described. I mean, you've even experienced that the last two years that you can sit here on this call in the midst of a disorienting time and say, yeah, it may be disorienting around me, but my soul is at peace. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... That's, that's remarkable. So the question becomes, how do we share that peace of the soul in the midst of a global chaos that I haven't, we haven't seen in our lifetime? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this, this may be the question of all questions. And uh, I don't know. I don't claim to know yeah. all the answers or have, have the perfect, perfect answer for this. I, I, there's a quote by Paul Miller. He uh, wrote a book called A Praying Life. It's, it's one of my top favorite books. He says, when you persist in a spiritual vacuum, uh, when you hang in there during ambiguity, you get to know God. Mm. And he goes on to describe what that means. But I, I love it that he says there, there's something about just stepping into that space and being in it that begins to shape you. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you're just holding on. And now all of the I don't mean all the things you held on to, all the things you put your hope in, all the things that you reverted back to, they kind of fall away because now you you can't trust in them. Mm-hmm. And there's something about that that that's where we get to know God. Okay, that didn't work. That obviously didn't work. That dream or future is gone. So here I am. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe returning back to some things that really we should have been doing all along. Mm-hmm. These rhythms and practices of the soul community and the right people in your life. I mean, you want to know what brings joy. 
fill your life with people that that bring you joy. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, honestly, nobody really cares all the things that you accomplished. I mean, who is in your life, you know? And so it is, it's going back to the simplicity of some of the things that maybe we had neglected or we put our hope elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that it's also a time to reevaluate the relationships that we have been surrounding ourselves with. Um, you mentioned in this week's uh, message, again, just the the fact and quote that you become who you hang out with, you know? And if you're surrounded by toxic people, you're probably gonna be a toxic person because you're gonna fall into the trap of having this social clout of gossip where if you obtain some gossip, you now have some value you can bring to a group of toxic people because if you bring gossip, they give you attention and that attention fuels your desire for more gossip. And that steals all of your mental capacity away for what truly matters because you're in this cycle of maintaining this social group of toxicity and you don't even realize it's happening because it it feels right because everybody around you is doing it. Yeah. I, I, I will say that's a huge takeaway for me this year is I would say simplicity. Um, moving back to simplicity and even even relationships, evaluating relationships, are they life-giving or draining? I mean, there's so many things that drain you right now that if the people you're around are always arguing about politics or always talking about doom and gloom and everything. I mean, you just don't have the emotional capacity to carry that. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm doing less than I've ever done before. I'm more conscious of the things that I I am doing, Um, limiting maybe even access to certain people and trying to fill my life with the people that, yeah, that bring joy, you know, and, and the right boundaries. And as a pastor, I mean, I'm around a lot of people and there's a lot of brokenness out there and I want to be there for them, but also for my own soul, like I get to choose, mm-hmm. you know? I think this year has done that. I listen to less news than I've ever done before because I just simply can't sit around. I, I'm, a, I'm a news guy. I like to watch the news and listen to it. I mean, I never have I listened to less news than I am right now. And it's that's the, that's the season for me, mm-hmm. right? Um, and learning how to just soul care, right spiritually emotionally physically and relationally how to how to reevaluate is this leading me to life you know or not mm-hmm. is it is it is it is it draining that life from me so yeah i think this whole conversation we've been having is about attention and mary oliver um the poet and saint to me says that attention is the beginning of devotion and if we are giving our attention to the noose, then at some point we start to become devoted to the noose. If our attention is being given to money, then we start to become devoted to money. Anything we give our attention to somehow starts to become a devotion, starts to become what we build our identity on, starts to become what our heart is trapped by and living for. And I watched a TED Talk by Joseph Gordon-Levitt a few weeks ago that it has really stuck with me because it gives me language to talk about exactly how I feel is ultimately there are two powerful forces in our life. One, getting attention. And whenever we get attention, 
it fuels us. Social media, we post on social media, we get likes. That attention that we get fuels our decision in how we're going to move forward because we're going to post more things like the things that get us more attention. And as we seek the powerful force of getting attention, it leads me and others who have tried it into more and more discontentment, more and more unhappiness. The more attention you receive, the less happier you are. Listen to any celebrity that has made it to the other side, listen to their songs, read their books, and they will all say it was a ladder to nowhere. It gave them nothing. The attention brought nothing. But there's this other side that is equally as powerful, and that is the act of paying attention. And whenever we pay attention to the now, when we pay attention to what is happening, as we pay attention to others and we pay attention to this world that we live in and the reality of reality, it leads us into more and more happiness and more and more contentment. It is the pain of attention that brings fulfillment, not the getting of attention. Oh, I agree 100%. I was having this conversation with my oldest child the other day, talking about just spiritual formation and devotions and some of these things. And he was asking some questions, and uh, he had asked something about, you know, of spiritual growth and spiritual formation. And I, I gave him this answer. I was just talking about this with another friend the other day, and I said, "You have to normalize boredom." Mm-hmm. And it's such a weird thing to say, but you know, we did a podcast on digital distraction and how many different ways you're pulled. And until you normalize boredom, you can't really ever be content mm-hmm. because your heart and your mind is always being pulled for some sort of external stimulus. You know, my, I've, I've quoted this before, but Blaise Pascal, one of my favorite, all the unhappiness of men arise from one single fact. They're unable to stay quietly in their own room. Well, how do you overcome that? You, you have to sit. Mm-hmm. You have to take captive. You have to be okay not doing anything. And when you find that place of contentment, it's amazing because I know you've experienced this in your life. You begin to find beauty and joy in the little stuff. Mm-hmm. It's this paradox of the soul of like once you limit and simplify, now everything becomes beautiful instead of nothing. Mm-hmm. And you can't explain it. You like have to experience it. Like you talk to someone about this who has a hurried soul and they're just like, you're an idiot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, no, like go out in that field, sit on the ground and just sit there. Mm-hmm. And every time you get distracted and the thoughts pulled away, just bring it back mm-hmm. and do that continuously. And then you come back and tell me if, uh, if that brings you more or less joy. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what God's called us to be. And here we are in an age that not only are we distracted, but we have, we're inundated by so many difficult things right now. And so what's happening? Why are we in a mental health crisis? Most people, they just can't take one more thing. Mm-hmm. They're emotionally empty, like absolutely drained. And when you're that way, I'll just tell you as a pastor, I've been there many times. I, I hate what I do. I hate who I'm around. I can't find joy in anything. Mm-hmm. And I did find this during quarantine this time, this year when we had some time away, I had time with the family, just finding, like I started walking the neighborhood every day. Like, I'm not a walker. Like, I'm going to go run. I'm Mm going to go ride my bike and time myself and make sure I beat my last time, you know? Mm -hmm. I just begin to walk. Um, The the simple things, you know? I know you've experienced that. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, I am to the point now where I am could easily easily be accused of being a hippie because I have no desire greater than to sit in that field and to see. Because to see is to be, to see is to see the love and glory and majesty and splendor of the created God, of the God that has created the entire universe and that I get the conscious ability to witness it, to witness the symbiosis of reality, of world, of, of this earth, this kingdom of God now, where if you sit and you see a flower and you look at it and then you look at it closer and then you look at it even closer to where it is millimeters from your face and you see the intricacy and you see the beauty that is unexplainable why does it need to be so beautiful mm. it doesn't 99% of the beauty of this world will be go unseen by a human that's right so then it wasn't created for me it wasn't created for humans because 99% of it isn't going to be witnessed or seen by a human. So beauty exists because God is the beauty that it is mm. in the same way that I am, the same way that you are. Look at another human. Why do you think we're so attracted to humans? We have these actual, physical, visceral reactions to seeing another human, and it pulls us in this gravitational pull together. And I think it's all part of the love that builds this entire universe that is why i am here i am made of love for love by love in the same way that the flower the giraffe and the dolphin and the water and everything in this created universe is enveloped in this love and the christian mystic teacher james finley who studied under thomas merton says if at the count of three god were to cease loving you in this present moment, then at the count of three, you'd vanish completely, for you're nothing, absolutely nothing, apart from the infinite love of God pouring itself out and giving itself away as the very reality of yourself, others, and all things. This is the great paradox of the soul about ourselves. It's the very nothingness without God that makes our very presence to be the presence of God. This is the mystery of the soul. That may not make any sense to anyone who hasn't experienced it. Right. And that's where I believe that us as artists are called to try to explain mm -hmm. it. It's where the, the poets are called to try to explain it. The pastors, the saints, the mystics, the prophets are called to try to come up with some sort of metaphor to explain the truth of reality that is unknowable, can't be seen until you are somehow graced with the ability to see. Yeah. So someone, you know, they're listening to this and and they they think to themselves, yeah, Cody, that sounds that sounds great, mm -hmm. right? I, I have no idea, you know, how to do that, or I've not experienced that, and you know, I, I would just I, I would say this that. It's really not complex. Mm -hmm. What has to happen is you have to normalize the boredom. Like you have to be able to sit in the space 
And I think this beauty of the mystery that is God, this 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 beautiful place of seeing, man, just the supernatural all around you, and and it, it flows from from being able to sit in that that place mm-hmm. time and time again. And there's not another. There's not a quick way to it, right? right? So it's funny because you know. We do these podcasts and usually we kind of, we don't script them, but we kind of know where we're going. Just to be honest, with you, we have no idea where we're landing on this one. And I think this is a good place to land. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we're just like, Holy Spirit, I hope you lead us in this. Um, because I almost get this visual image of here you are, like you're walking the streets of Manhattan back in the day when people used to be in a crowd. Um, and it's almost like you're sitting on the ground in your own little bubble, having your moment while the masses like I think this is what it means to be like a spiritual rebel right now. Mm-hmm. Like you want to you, you want to be someone different, counterculture in this world. It's like you are not responding to the moment to moment, day to day noise, clamor, attention, pull, division. Like you have this ability to sit mm-hmm. and to know who you are. Because guess what? It's a time of disruption and disorientation. But God is not disrupted, right? Right. God's not disoriented. So he's not, but we are. So how do we align ourselves in something that, you know what? I can't become disrupted mm-hmm. because, and I know who I am. I mean, this is the theology of suffering. This is developing this place where you, you're so grounded in who you are that conditions around you can change moment to moment and it doesn't change you. Mm-hmm. The thing that that keeps me centered in this moment and is my choice to see that the kingdom of God is now that I live in heaven right now. If I choose to open my eyes and just to see, to see the splendor of heaven, but I'm also aware that hell is now and hell is a choice as much as heaven is a choice. And the hell that we live in is the cumulative choice of humans choosing themselves over others. And that's what we're fighting against. We're fighting against the selfish desire of ourself. And the only way to fight against the global selfishness is to change your own selfishness to say, I'm willing to sit in silence and I am willing to try to move towards a place where I am choosing others over myself, where I am choosing God's glory over my own and choosing your identity in that where the security of money is no longer an anxiety because your security is in love and all of these anxieties that the world brings upon us start to fall away because we are fully secure in the sit in the moment in the being and so i say that because where does one begin i have no idea Hmm. no answers I know the things that have helped me and led me and starts with asking questions, trying to find reality. Once I started to find the hard end of reality, then choosing to accept reality on reality's terms, surrendering that I have zero control over any of it, and then choosing to move forward in helping the human project flourish into bringing the kingdom of God now. And the only way I can do that is to fill my soul and 
to reject the desires of my ego? I believe, as you said, the answers are simple. I think life's biggest, most complicated problems are very, very simple answers that can be said in one sentence. But that one sentence is the hardest possible thing you could ever do. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And simple, not easy. Yes. Like it's not only simple, it's simple, not easy. It's um, simple and incredibly fight your whole life for difficult. Right. And it's the difficulty of dying to self. Right. And, and, it, and it's, you know, the process of sanctification will be a continual struggle until all things are renewed. And so you're, you're never going to be the final product. And, you know, that, that's difficult for some people. So it's a continual, but it, it's, it's a fight you have to fight, mm-hmm. you know. As you were talking, we, we end these podcasts several, you know, several times that we've done them with kind of a, a meditation, mm. a contemplative thought, something that we want to leave you with. And I, I think what's appropriate, this has really been my life verse over the last few years, and it's a simple verse. I mean, if I was going to get a tattoo right now, I think this would be it. First uh, John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. I want to leave you with this thought as we reflect on this verse, that fear and love cannot coexist in the same place. Where there's the presence of one, there will be the absence of the other. And so I know this is a time of fear and anxiety for many people. And I think if you begin to fixate and understand the love of God, if you're able to sit in that place and truly contemplate perfect love, think of perfect love. That means God is not 99.9% for you and there's a 0.1% chance that he's not. No, it's perfect love means in every situation, he is always and completely for you. There's something about that, that when you sit in that reality, brings a peace where fear can simply not exist. Even if my life is taken from me today, that perfect love, I rest in God's goodness. I trust in who he is and what he has prepared for me. And my prayer for maybe somebody today is in the midst of this disruption and disorientation, um, maybe perfect love becomes revelation to you for the first time. Uh, That's my prayer for you. Amen.